Have you ever wondered how to show up as your best version of yourself no matter what life throws at you? You are not alone. I've spent the last 6 years on the comeback trail after getting fired as a burned out workaholic who missed her first candlelight wedding anniversary. When life gets tough, there's always a choice. Give up or show up. So how do you forge an inspiring leadership without the overwhelm completely from scratch? Join me in my quest to bring you the stories, strategies and tips you need to inspire you to succeed. I am Priyanka Khandalkar and this is Show Up with Priyanka. Hello everyone, welcome to Show Up with Priyanka. I'm your host Priyanka Khandalkar and I'm so so excited to have my today's guest and uh, I was just talking to Jill about where she's located. She's in beautiful Los Angeles and I love the Los Angeles vibe and I can't wait to like travel that side again Jill. So I'm so excited for you to be here today. Uh let me do a formal introduction introduction of Jill. Uh Jill James is a female fa- powerhouse <laughs> who helps self-funded business owners to go from being the founder to CEO. This is the cure for entrepreneurs who works 80 hours a week which can be fixed in a matter of couple of weeks uh, without losing any profit. She's not the one to give generic advice like raise your price, hire more people. Jill comes from humble beginnings. She comes from a small town of 1000 people in rural Wisconsin and she then was a Wall Street banker as well as COO for a venture packed tech startup while being 7 months pregnant and realizing that something had to change. I love that Jill and I feel like especially after we become mother it's like our priority changes and like okay what do i want to do today and uh, what i want to do with my life and i i love like how you come from that humble beginning and what was your why so so grateful to have you here welcome jill thank you for having me priyanka i'm excited to talk with you yay so how old is your kid now jill uh he's 6 6 wow yeah nice nice my my daughter is like 4 year old oh my and, gosh and uh, i was just uh, going through your website just before coming to our call and one of the things you had like uh, should you employ kids in your own business and i was mm-hmm. like oh i want to really talk about it because i think as a parent you always are like especially as an entrepreneur parent we always think about how we can involve kids more in our own activities like so that their thinking changes they become more uh, what do you call critical thinker but more like us sometimes we want them to be like us in some way or think like us in some ways um so i want to like really uh, want to talk about that before we dive into our today's interview would love to know like what made you write that article and what to, can you give us like little bit um, what do you feel about that like employing your kid in your own business like have you already started with your 6 year old or is there a plan to have them in your business yes so well he is on an allowance right now and he has some tasks for his allowance it's not officially from the business yet um but my plan is uh you know as he has school breaks things like that like i save things for him to do like he loves to shred paper is this a good use of my time probably not right so i try to save things um like you know if if we're stuffing bags or things like he's so excited to get some extra money mm-hmm. um so often we treat that as okay well you're going to help mom with her company um and that came from me um my my both of my uh, sets of my grandparents were entrepreneurs but my dad's family in northern wisconsin had a general store mm-hmm. and they lived above it 
And we thought it was the most fun, me particularly, to go work in the store, right? We got to stock the candy case. We got to make like sodas like from the pole fountain and like make mm-hmm. the hot fudge sundaes. And I learned to make change. And like, that gave me a really good perspective on how much things cost and like how, how numbers work and how money works. And then my grandparents would talk about, you know, when the store was quiet, what was going on and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the things that they did in a small town to make their business work. Um, and I, I would go and stay with them for two weeks at a time and work in the store. Like I couldn't wait to wake up in the morning and go work in the store. Um, which I don't know if my son will quite feel that way. Maybe it's not so <laughs> fun to work in mommy's, you know, strategic operations business, but we'll I try to find some stuff for him. That's fun. That just helps him, um, reinforce in the real world, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, the numbers relationships that he's learning the value of things like how money works. So his allowance, we start, I started at five and he really gets that now. Like at first he was like, wow, $5. And he'd go to the dollar store and blow the $5. Right. Yeah. And now <laughs> he has a save spend and give jar. And he's like, I'm going to put it in the save jar because I want something that's $12 and I only have six, so I'm not going to spend it. Like it really has been effective getting him to do that. Um, So the next step now that he's six, um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as we move into spring break and summer, um, there are some real tasks that he can do for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the the nature of that article was both around... um, from a tax management strategy, which entrepreneurs are always really interested in, um, mm-hmm. kids get their own tax return and the first $12,000 they make basically isn't taxed. So mm-hmm. if you would be buying these things for your kids anyway, and there's actual work that they can do in your business, they can do it and 100% of the money can go toward their costs versus if you do the work and pay yourself, you're probably paying an incremental 34, 36, 38% federally right. and here in California it might be as much as 50, mm-hmm. right? So I can buy half as many Pokemon cards as he can. So why don't mm-hmm. we pay him and let him buy the Pokemon cards and everybody wins. Um, and then the other, um, I do have another life uh, where I was a financial planner in between Wall Street and, and my tech job. Um, and so I like to weave a lot of that in. And I think um, one of the things, one of the strategies we've used is kids can have a Roth IRA, And Mm -hmm. so it has to be earned income, but you can take $6,000 of that money and put it into a Roth IRA, and then they can Mm -hmm. accumulate the earnings. There are a lot of different ways to use them. So it's just sort of been an interesting thread on that of, yes, get your kids involved in the business. Yes, hire them properly so they have earned income. And then yes, help them build intergenerational wealth Mm -hmm. by using the tools that you have to really shelter that money and grow it for them without being afraid of like, oh, can, can they get it? Like when they want to buy a house or go to college or, you know, so that article specifically is, um, both, you know, a strategy around helping you understand taxes and, and the benefit of employing your kids or even your parents, right. Retirement Mm -hmm. age parents or older parents, um, that, that was another angle on it, but then what to do with that money that kind of achieves more of those objectives around intergenerational wealth, which is what a lot of people start businesses for. I I love this. This is so awesome, Jill. And I'm going to add that in the show notes so they can have the access to that article you wrote. And it was so fascinating because what we did recently with my daughter, we bought the cash flow game. Oh, yeah. 
yeah that's great dad poor dad i'm like okay like mm-hmm. she's 4 year old but maybe she will not be ready to read the book but we can play this game and they have it for kids and i was like it's so important for them to learn all the skills like uh, especially like assets all these terms we use and we normally learn about it like after you start your own business or maybe if you have a financial advisor they bring it up and we you talk about mm-hmm. it and like you get it all taken care but i just i i really enjoyed that article so i'm going to include that in the show notes so jill i wanted to ask you like what are the core values like that is really important to you uh with respect to like whom you work with what kind of life decisions you make what kind of business decisions you make like what are those core values that you have evolved with being like this is my core values Yeah, that's a great question. Um from the beginning because I started my business when I was 7 months pregnant, I couldn't be a consultant like a lot of other people were consultants. Um and so I naturally, you know, had this baby and just can go sit at somebody's office for a week at a time, kind of boondoggle it. So I had to come up with ways of in the time that I have available, what can mm-hmm. I do that's high value and do it my way. Um and so that's always been in my business every time I start to get overwhelmed or I think like how am I going to take on more could I work more hours the business has always been designed around what my family needs and what I need and so it's never been about applying more hours it's about what are the high value value activities we can do and not feeling bad as entrepreneurs because some people just work their way through everything but to actually have a design around what you want your life to be what you want your work to be and make the work work for you and don't work in the way you did when you were an employee or don't work in the way you would if you were um you know backed by somebody that like basically they think they've bought all your time you own the business and that's part mm-hmm. of the reason that I only work with self-funded businesses because then you can as the only shareholder as the owner as the ceo you can design the culture that you want you mm-hmm. um no one's saying don't pay that much for benefits or no one's saying don't invest in that charitable cause right mm-hmm. you decide what you want to do with the money um and so everyone that i work with um a lot of them are are moms or parents mm-hmm. um that are wanting to you know figure out a business design where they can reach the goals that they have and the ambitions that they have but without just doing it by blanketing with as much work as possible. Um yeah, so that's yeah. a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um and then another piece is most of the people I work with have some kind of mission behind their work and often it mm-hmm. is um in changing the way that they experienced work as an employee. They want work to be different for the people who work for them. Mm-hmm. Um so a big part of that is finding aligned professionals that, you know, aren't going to say you know here's your handbook just conform <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right we have to you know do things of like these are the core values of the company these are the pillars that we're building around we will not violate them we will change the structure of how we work to make this work we will make sure we have the margins to fund these programs mm-hmm. right we will adjust compensation so that i benefit and you benefit um so there's a lot more design around the business of with the business owners to say this is how i think the world should work this is what feels fair to me um and this is this is how i want people who work with me to feel and experience the world of work um and so that's definitely a core value for me of uh, i won't take a client who's like hey tell me how to make more money mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah yeah we just so we do. don't we don't do that it's always a, a, around some kind of design of i think work should be this way and this is something that's important to me in the world that needs to be expressed through work love that 
And I, I just love like how we, like I was just telling Jill before the meeting started, like this call started, like uh, I had so many meetings today. That's why I use the word <laughs> meeting. <laughs> so I was just telling Jill, like how we both have similar kind of things, like in operations we help, but what makes us unique is like whom we work with and like this values, like what is most important to us. And I think values is so important, Jill, because when I'm also like hiring for my CEOs, I'm always looking into like, what are their core values? What is their, mm-hmm. because then you only attract the contractors or the new hirees, which will really align with the values of the company and the CEOs. And uh, it's not like a generalized job description. It's more customized. And uh, that's why core values are so important because I think even if we have similar kind of work, we help with others, but it's just, values of our personality which attracts different kind of clients and there's so much abundance out there right and so many people need help with operations so I would love to know Jill like what is your background like when you started your own journey I know like you were seven months pregnant and you knew that there's something has to be changed you can't be nine to five corporate job so knowing that why knowing why you were doing this like uh, probably it was setting the legacy for your daughter or son um, mm-hmm. I would love to know that why behind after the, like, after you realized that's at seven months, like what was those emotions going on with you and what was the next step you took? Yeah. Let me break it out a couple ways, Priyanka, so that we can kind of talk about the background stuff, which I think yeah. is important. Um, and then kind of once I started, decided to start the business, how I went from there. So, um, I have a stepping stone background as, as you see for yourself. Um, you know, I, I did work on wall street. Um, I've worked in several startups. I was a personal, uh, a, a financial advisor to individuals and small businesses. I went to business school with the intent of going back into finance and then fell in love with entrepreneurship. So I ended up in tech. Um, so, you know, I've moved around to, you know, I've, I've lived in a bunch of different cities. I've done a bunch of different jobs. Um, and really what I found as an employee is people did not know what to do with me until I had the title COO. And then they were like, oh my gosh, you're the most qualified person I've ever met for this job. Cause you've done all the things. Right. But until I was a COO, people were like, do you have any direction in your life? Do you even know what you want to do? Mm. <laughs> right? So I think, um, sometimes following your interests and following what's interesting to you in your business career, you don't know where it's going to take you. And um, because I did kind of have that thing that didn't make sense to other people, it ultimately gave me a number of experiences that I can draw on that make my business unique now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I decided to start the company, I have to say, you know, having been in startups and venture back startups for a while, I was always like, what's my startup going to be? What's my billion dollar idea? Right. And, um, I just never felt like I had, I had ideas that like, you know, I was like, well, this will play out in a couple of years or this will play out in five years. And, you know, what am I really going to do with this? Is this going to become, you know, the next Microsoft? Is it going to become the next Airbnb? Um, and I never had that idea. And when it really just came down to it, there was no path but entrepreneurship where the hours and what I needed, what my family needed at the time coincided with doing meaningful work. There was no one who was going to give me a 30 hour a week job to be their COO. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, at the end of all of that thinking about it and everything else, I just ended up starting a services company, a services consulting company, because I had people who saw what I had done in those other, in the companies I had worked in and said, you know, I can't afford you as a full-time employee, but I'd love to work with you fractionally. 
So because I had someone who would pay me and be flexible, you know, around my baby and around me getting started, Mm -hmm. that was enough, right? Like that was enough to establish the company. And just by working in those um, consulting roles with the first few clients, um, I got to see kind of what was going on with early stage entrepreneurs with a bunch of different backgrounds and kind of uh, realized there is a big gap in uh, people who have big ideas and want to do things and then their actual mm-hmm. experience because people who know how the, it works tend to not start those companies because they know how hard it's going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they That's know all true. the things that you're going to have to know. So they don't start them. So you need someone who has just like enough of that leap or that belief um, mm-hmm. kind of without the questioning of like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, but then that partnership comes in because they're going to be able to carry the company through the things that they know. And then they're going to start hitting those things that they don't know, like how to run a company, like mm-hmm. the day-to-day operations of a company. And they usually don't want to do that stuff. That's not why they started the company. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really realized that there was a, an opportunity around um, both fi- you know, kind of the financial literacy around the business system, which none of us learn until we usually start a company and go through it and learn through pain, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, there isn't really a way to shortcut that. Um, so I saw some ways that I could take my financial background, my mm-hmm. operating background, my background in systems. Uh, and really help these founders accelerate the growth of their company and do it in the way they wanted to do it um, mm-hmm. while taking some of those pain, painful, what I now call the hate list, taking <laughs> that off their plate um, mm-hmm. so they could really have more time to concentrate on the things that they love. Love this. So Jill, when was this when you started? Was it like a couple of years back or a few years back? Uh, originally 2015. So I started summer, summer of 2015 and this, the model that I work on now was about two years into the business. So I've been doing this way for about four years. Basically the business and the baby are exactly the same age. So we could always, (laughs) (laughs) so everybody's six and a half years old. They're my twins. Right. That's so awesome. So Jill, like what was the obstacle like? Like what was the first obstacle? Like you started this journey, you started helping like fractional bases, you said, Mm -hmm. and then what was the aha moment that happened in your business that where you are, like in what were the aha moments in this whole six year journey that like mm-hmm. changed the way you think, maybe changed your mindset around pricing, changed the mindset around what kind of clients you want to work with. I would love to understand like how it has evolved. Yeah. I would say the first thing is like just accepting the fact that I would never be able to work the way other people worked. Like there wasn't someone I could look at that I could say, like the consultants that I knew were going to someone's office and sitting there for two, three, four, five days at a time. And Mm -hmm. I had to find a way to work that, um, you know, allowed me, like, I never could go anywhere for more than like 36 hours. Right. And Mm -hmm. I was doing the mom thing where you like, you take the last flight, you take the red eye, you do the work, you take the flight back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're a zombie, but you like, you did it in one day. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, that was the most that I could do. Um, and Mm -hmm. it really led me to moving to virtual work well before the pandemic. I've been completely virtual since my son was two and a half. Because I couldn't, it wasted my whole day to go to Santa Monica and then have to make it back in time for daycare pickup. I could take like one meeting a day. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, like I just drew a line in the sand and said, if you want to work with me, unless you're paying a premium, we're doing this on Zoom. We're working virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was a game changer. Now, obviously we're all doing that way because we have to, um, but just dictating to say like, no, I'm not coming to meet you because LA is a very meet in person kind of. 
town. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opened up a whole world of possibilities because if I didn't physically have to go to meet with someone, then the clients that I worked with could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my, my client base stopped being, um, regional or, you know, local to, I did a lot of work around Los Angeles cause it's a very complicated set of rules. It's actually 28 different cities and mm-hmm. without going down that rabbit hole, but LA is its own monster right. of a thing and yeah. inside California is its own monster of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so getting out of that and kind of moving to more of a national model of, um, working on. Uh, how are we going to grow this business? What do you want your business design to be? And I think that was another piece of figuring out like, um, I'm not your COO. I'm not your CFO. I'm not competing with your accountant. There isn't really a title for what I do. And that shift of taking ownership and saying like, I kind of sit between these things and I'm a business partner to you if you want to accomplish these things, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, there are some tactical things that we will do for you, of -hmm. course but we're not coming in to be the fractional COO. We're coming in to be your partner in like getting you through this awkward phase of you can't hire everybody. You don't have enough money. You have to make choices, but we Mm -hmm. want to go over here. What are the important things that we need to do to get through this time, to get more resources, to grow the company, to get to that next level? Um, And I think that kind of problem solving Mm-hmm. has been a big change for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just strictly saying like, you have to be self-funded, right? And that right. doesn't mean we don't use debt financing or other things, but it means you you haven't given up, you, you don't have an equity investor in your business. So mm-hmm. you're able to dictate where you want the business to go. And that was a huge change too, because um, people that I worked with who wanted to go out for funding, the second they would get funding, we would be done. Mm. Right. Because <laughs> anyone who funded them was like, well, is she coming to work for you full time? Because mm-hmm. if she's not, we're not paying those kind of r- kinds of rates. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas self-funded founders, you know, if they want the help, they can choose to have the help. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's led to some like really lovely long client engagements where we go through, you know, different phases of the business together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, worked with clients now. I think my longest standing client is three years this point, you know, we've gone all the way from the pivot and the inception of what that new business was going to be, you know, and now it's a pretty, it's a substantial, it's a substantial company, you know? Um, I love that. Wow. And then how has your team grown from the time you started? Um, I would have to say that's probably one place given all the changes in my life in the last year that I tabled. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a virtual assistant. I have some people that I source to, but I have um, more of a team of professional partners that I trust mm-hmm. um, versus people that I've hired who use my methodology or do my work. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, given a bunch of life changes in the last 18 months, um, I have sort of said, I'm going to do this the way I can do it um, mm-hmm. and and limit the number of clients that I take and, you know, not go for maximum growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of coming out of out of that time and kind of thinking about, uh, I think the next thing for me is like, I do need to move to a couple of W2 employees. Um, but the, uh, the steps for me so far have been all like using, um, staffing services and outsource services and, um, professional partners that I really enjoy working with. Love that. Because I think Jill, for me also, like I worked with like five clients this year, I started really doing my service mm-hmm. business this year. I had done a couple of different kinds of businesses, like physical product and SaaS, different kinds of businesses before that. And right now I'm like capped out. I can't do any more. So I need to probably start an agency or something like that. But uh, 
yeah, it's like as a service-based uh, owners, we can be capped out if we just do one-on-one. So who are the people you're serving right now? Are they all local in Los Angeles? Or you're like, you were saying like it's national brands. So you're helping others all around the U.S. or all around the world? Uh, right now, yeah, all my clients are in the U.S., Mm-hmm. Um, with one exception, but for the most part, um, or they're physically operating in the U.S. They might sit elsewhere, but their their businesses in the U.S. Um, so that that's definitely been the focus. But there isn't necessarily a rhyme or reason to where they're located. Um, and yeah. I think, in particular, uh, now that a lot of them are in virtual businesses as well, they've chosen to move around as well. So mm-hmm. they might have had a, a nexus when we started, but now that they're running their businesses in the distributed way or in remote or hybrid, they can do what they need to do. And a lot of them have taken advantage of the fact of they don't need to be in a city. They don't need to be near a skilled workforce. They can right. have, you know, they can use the technology tools and have a distributed team, which I think has really accelerated the growth of some of these early stage companies because mm-hmm. they can find the talent in the places where they can afford it, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, you know, maybe they aren't in a position where they can move to Texas, but they can hire right. somebody in Texas, yeah, right? Totally. So, you know. <laughs> so Jill, like if someone, uh, like, can you share some of the success story of your clients, like transformation after you work with them? Like, would love to know, like, uh, the stories, because I think so, some of my amazing interviews, which I had done here, like we share some success stories and they really see like what transformation you bring with your work, because sometimes it's hard to explain operations, right? What we do. Yeah. So I would love to know, like, what are the, some of the successful stories of like, and I'm sure like they all are so different story because based on the gaps you see, right? Yeah. I, I think Priyanka, one of the um, things that is evolved for me is like, Every person in operations, just to talk about operations for a second, there are like eight different areas of operations. Totally. And most people are really good at three of them. So mm-hmm. some people may be more like HR, legal, compliance, right? Mm-hmm. Other people are like strategy, finance, operations. That's more my area, right? Some people are very like finance, day-to-day, legal, right? But mm-hmm. very rarely do you get people in operations who are just like, I do all the operations stuff, right? <laughs> so even for me is like, you know, I know enough to not get people like more than my clients enough to get, not get them in trouble. But like, you know, I also mm-hmm. know there are areas of operations I don't enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's probably the the first thing to, to like kind of think about is like, I definitely know my lane in operations. <laughs> so I don't, you know, try to get in people's supply chain stuff or anything like that. Um so in, in thinking about like some of the success stories, um, it's usually, you know, some combination of looking at where they're at, like looking at their finances. There are a lot of clues in people's financial reports that I think like when you start to look at them, mm-hmm. um, you see the opportunities or you see the places where like, if you can make improvements, it will radically change the business. Um, and so one of the things that I look at is the first thing I do go through with people is, um, try to get them more focused on area, doing the work in areas that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do we need to fund the areas that you don't want to work on where we need to find somebody else to do it, whether a professional or someone who comes in house. Um, so that's one, one big piece. Another is, um, most companies rarely look at their unit economics. And one of the first things I do with my clients is go through their product set and we narrow it and we make it more specific. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we make sure that everything that we do hits a certain minimum gross margin because that funds everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even those small tweaks of a, a more of a focused offering set at higher margins instantly changes the business, right? Because every sale that you close does more for you. Um, and so that's really, I think, the foundation of the success stories. Um, so I'm trying to think of people that have not everyone wants people to know they work with me. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's so more. true. And what you yeah. said about finances is so interesting because sometimes a uh, lot of CEOs make decisions based on emotions, not numbers. And like, I think uh, uh, with your background in finance, like I totally get it. Like you bring that experience when you're helping the CEOs because I think they can find so much uh, uh, gaps, opportunities when they just look at some of those profit and loss <laughs> statement. And right. uh, and what you said about like really uh, looking at the itemized and looking at like what can bring you more ROI rather than like wasting because it's all the 80-20 rule, like 20% of 80, 20% of the products sometimes bring 80% of the sale, but what are those? Right. Yeah. Like just identifying those opportunities. I, that totally makes sense, Jill. So Jill, I would love to understand like, um, like what are the ways that you have seen businesses grow and scale to seven, seven figure? Because mm-hmm. I think there's this milestone. Every entrepreneur wants to attain this seven figure. Like first it is six figure and then it is seven figure. Right. right. So like in your own zone of genius in operations, like what are the things you have seen that has like really helped them to transform to like scale their business to seven figure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I've thought of a couple of companies I can mention by name that will <laughs> help you with their success story question. Um, so I will say um, sometimes people are reselling other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a great way to get started and build your list and, you know, kind of build that audience trust. Um, but shifting over to having a product that is owned and operated, uh, just the margins are wildly different. So, you know, one of the clients I've worked with for the longest time is called Covet in Maine and their hair extension brand. Mm. Um, and when we started working together, Dafina Smith, who was very experienced in the beauty industry, she was reselling um, online. She had great e-commerce experience, but was on reselling other people's product. Mm-hmm. Um, and given her relationships, her list, you know, her depth of knowledge of the community, um, there was an opportunity for her to have her own line. Um, and it's something she had thought about, but it was just, I don't know how to do this. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, and we started out with that, like, I want to be seven figures, right. But mm-hmm. not a, not a, I want to be, you know, a hundred million dollar business or anything crazy like that. Right. It's always, I always work on the term of, where, where does the entrepreneur want to go? And a lot of people move the sticks once they get there and right. are like, that wasn't as hard. I thought I'd be happy with a $2 million business, but now maybe we can make it seven, right? Like mm-hmm. if that, that tends to happen as you get experience. But, you know, getting to that um, million dollar club was really for her about, um, it was going to be really hard to do it with other people's products. Mm-hmm. So what was it going to take to, for her to kind of birth this product line that she had in mind? And could we do it, you know, keeping up the existing business and using the profits from that to pay for mm-hmm. the new business? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a gradual pivot into the new business, but the profit margins on her own line were just so astronomically better. It radically changed the growth trajectory of the other business um, and gave her a lot more scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are things like that of in a product setting, 
of um, looking at like where are your best opportunities? What are the highest margin products? Are there things that are owned and operated or that like they're under your own brand or you can white label? And often mm-hmm. those are, um, you're, you're better off putting more effort into those. Um, but keeping a narrow line and getting really good experience and having that customer know what to come to you for and trying to get as much, you know, repeat customer business as you can. I always am looking for those flywheel opportunities of like, where can we have a great relationship where somebody buys over and over and over? Mm-hmm. Um, in the services industry, really adding more of that product thinking, right? Can we get recurring revenue? Can we eliminate some of these one-offs? Like how do we make things that are repeatable? Because mm-hmm. even in services, there's a lot that we can do that's common or um, mm-hmm. that we can do over and over, systematize or make it simpler. So someone junior to us or less experienced in the industry could do it um, mm-hmm. and do a portion of it and do some of the delivery so that you can focus on sales, you can focus on content and brand reputation, things like that. So um, I, I really do look for places where like, where do you, as you, as the founder, like, where do you bring a unique advantage? Um, mm-hmm. And that's really going through a variety of assets of the company of mm-hmm. uh, like, where, where are you strong? Right. And where are you unique? And what is that customer who values that? And let's focus in on that and block everything out. Um, and even just doing that for three to six months, you know, often I'm working with people who have really big visions. And it's kind of like, okay, we're just gonna, we're not gonna not do that, but focus for three to six months on this and let's get this going so it funds all those things. Um, and it really doesn't take that long as long as we can find that customer who's, you know, super loyal, loves the product, Mm -hmm. um, has willingness to pay right above, you know, basically is not a price-based customer. And then something that is high enough margin that we can sell to them and make it repeatable. And that's, you know, not super complicated, but that's the foundation of it. I've given you everything. I'm going to, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. This is amazing, Jill, because I like, for me, like uh, when you were talking about like, what is your zone of genius in operations too, right? For me, it's like a lot of automation and integration and systems. Like I really thrive in those things and like day-to-day, how to make it more optimized. And then also those opportunity, which you spoke about. And I, I feel like customer success stories, like I think the clients nowadays, it's more about like, they want to see someone who has already have similar kind of background who has bought your product and got mm-hmm. that transformation. So I think the, uh, but you spoke about that, what is already working, what is already stronger, like really put emphasis on it rather than like what is not working, why to focus so much on it. You got it? <laughs> yeah, I got it. I lost my earbud. I'm a little warm. The sun, is, the sun has come out here in the LA afternoon. I love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> we still have very gloomy weather in Portland. And I think that's how this is our first winter here, but it's different than the winter in Michigan for sure. <laughs> Warmer, less bright. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I this is upper Midwest winters. <laughs> yeah, I I loved Wisconsin. I just loved uh, you were sharing about Wisconsin because I when I was working in corporate, I had a lot of suppliers there, so I used to visit mm-hmm. a lot in Wisconsin, and they're famous for their um, what do you call water parks? <laughs> yes, we do have a lot of water parks. Yeah, that's yeah, what I Wisconsin Dells. Yeah, there's yeah. so much, and now you're next to the ocean, so it's different. <laughs> and then you were next to the lake of uh, Michigan Lake, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So 
Uh, Jill, I think this was amazing interview today. I would love to ask you this last few questions, like a rapid fire kind of things. Would okay. love to know, like, what is that one system you have implemented or using which has like been a game changer for you? Mm. It can be a software, it can be a tool, it can be a product you are using, but it's yeah. something which like makes your life easier and really helps you. Um, I think the big change, uh, like, I just committed to a single CRM system last summer. Um, and you know, paid for it, stopped gluing everything together for $10 in Zapier. So, you know, when I really looked at the number of different systems that I was using and the fact that I was zapping everything together versus paying for a comprehensive system, um, like actually buying a CRM solution that plugs into everything gives me the automation that I need. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen that as a big hurdle for other people, you know, and it's a bit it is a big change to say every single month I'm gonna pay. Two, three, four, five, six hundred dollars for a CRM system, but it has wildly changed what I understand about my lead generation. It makes it easy for easier for me to follow up. There are more things I can automate, um, and I still I know that I still am not taking one hundred percent advantage of it. So you know, even for where I am now, um, I just find that that investment has um, given me so much more leverage that it's it's really been worth it to pay for a proper. CRM versus trying to cobble stuff together. I love that. What CRM you're using? Uh, I'm using HubSpot. Oh, awesome. I have yeah. heard a lot of good news with it. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Uh, next is Jill, like what is that one book that you will recommend someone? Like uh, anything, any book, or maybe it's a book you're right now reading, but that book, which has like changed your life and you really recommend others. Um, I think if you're committed to be in the small business space and you want to understand, um, when I do cohorts, I send this as your welcome gift. Uh, it's a book called The Passion Economy, and it's written by Adam Davidson, who's the host of Planet Money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first 50 pages of the book are the closest thing that I've ever seen academically to how to find your niche as a small business owner and make it the scale that you want and hold that space. Um, and then the rest of the book is examples of um, people being successful in using these methodologies. Uh, but I just find that book in particular, there aren't that many things that say, Hey, here's how to, you know, if you don't, again, you're not going to be the billion dollar business. That's where most of the books are in the advice. This is, you'd like to have a nice 10, $25 million business. Here's how to Mm -hmm. make sure that that is sustainable for a long time. And it achieves your objectives. Love that, Jill. Thank you for that recommendation. I have not read that book. So thank you for even mentioning it to me. Sure. Because I am like a book nerd. Always. My <laughs> husband is like, what? Like, there's like book coming every week. <laughs> That's I'm like my... that as well. I switched to Kindle because it was too much paper. Like the book, I couldn't buy three books a week. And I, I love the Libby app as another hot take. Libby. Um, oh, nice. Libby is a, it's an electronic uh, connection to your public library. Mm. And so I read 108 books from Libby last year. Oh, wow. Because, you wow. know, if I can't sleep, I grab a book, right? I know. <laughs> just, you know, if, if you always had the library open to you. Um, right. So I love, I love that app. And it's just, it works off your library card. And, you know, I've tried a lot of books that I think I probably wouldn't have bought or wasn't willing mm-hmm. to buy. Grab them from the library. It's great. <laughs> love it so another thing I want to ask you uh, Jill is uh, if your 17 year old comes now and ask you what is that one thing you want to tell them what would be what would it be um 
I mean, I tell my six-year-old this now, school is not everything. And coming mm-hmm. out of my mouth, that's crazy because school was everything. I'm <laughs> an excellent student. I was all about being a student, but being a student hasn't necessarily translated into how the world functions. Mm-hmm. And so I think having some balance around what school does for us, what is and isn't taught, um, and having space to explore things out in the world, um, mm-hmm. whether through starting a, a business where it's low risk to you, um, you know, getting some of that entrepreneurial experience, taking the weird job, taking a gap year, whatever it right. is, like, um, that, you know, it's not going to work in the world to just go to the 13 or 17 or whatever professional designation year of school. Mm-hmm. Um, the world doesn't work like that anymore. So mm-hmm. make sure that you have some space to discover what you love to do and where you want to spend your time and then use school as a way to inform that. Love that, Jill. Is there anything I might have missed today that you want to cover? Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) relative to what? Um, Yeah, uh, I think, you know, this is is all really great. Um, I think, I mean, we could keep talking all day about operations stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But I had so much fun, Jill, to have you on my show today. Like what will be the, what are the links or website I would love to put that in the show notes where people can reach out to you if they want to work with you, like get hold of you, like touch base with you, share their Mm -hmm. ideas or like share anything related to whatever we spoke about today. So how, what is the best way to contact you? Sure. Uh, So my website is thejilljames.com. And right at the top, there's a link that says strategy session. Anyone can schedule one. It's a complimentary 30 minute conversation right now. They're all with me at some point in the future, I can't promise that. But (laughs) right now I do all the strategy sessions and have all the conversations. So, um, you know, that that's a great way to connect with me. Um, I also write a weekly newsletter that's for self-funded small business owners. Sometimes it's a little more of my experience and inspirational. And some weeks it's very nuts and bolts, like, Hey, here's some stuff you need to do right now, or there's going to be a problem. Um, so the newsletter is available from the website or the jilljames.com slash newsletter. And you can sign up there. Awesome. And Jill, what is your next 12 months goal? I have to say my, I I have really focused Priyanka on calm and peace. Mm. Um, It is more about making space for creativity and space to think than do, do, do. So my goals are very different this year around uh, actually putting work back in the four day work week box, which I had for a long time and the pandemic kind of blew it out. So I really want to put the boundaries back on work and create space uh, where I can think, be creative, do research, because that's really what I love. And that synthesis is where my big ideas come from. Mm -hmm. So that is my goal, right? Less structured work, more unstructured time. Words my high school guidance counselor probably never thought I would say. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's so important. I think uh... We need our space. We need our, what do you call it? Sometimes it's so hard when you're a parent, when you're a business owner, when you have all this different responsibility and you have so many to-do lists, right? Whether it's for clients, for your own business. I think that uh, having that space for your own creativity is so, so important. And I love that, Jill. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Good goal. It's awesome goal. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jill, for being on my show today. I had so much fun talking to you and learning all about you and your your brilliance, your zone of genius. So thank you for being on my show today. Thank you for having me.
Awesome. <laughs> so today I only had this much time with Jill, but if you want to know more about Jill, please make sure you contact her and set up that strategy call with Jill. Until then, see you soon and show up in your life, show up in your business to go to that next level. Take care. I honor you for your energy and time to show up till the end and listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a minute to rate and review my show and share it with others who needs it the most. This would mean world to me. Remember your positive intentions, your presence and your positive energy is contagious to attract the positive result. Talk to you soon. Stay tuned until the next episode.